Normal features we build, we might get like five to 10% adoption. AI got like 20 to 25% adoption. So it's been a successful feature, not the most successful feature we've ever built, but it's been a very high quality investment and it's getting a lot of utilization and value by customers. But the reason it's more prominent in our messaging than other features we may have built that maybe have similar adoption or deliver even more value is the A-B tests show us that that increases conversion more. And so that's why it's everywhere. I'm Pep Lau. I don't do fluff. I don't do filler. I don't do emojis. What I do is study winners in B2B SaaS because I want to know how much is strategy, how much is luck, and how do they win? This week, Vinay Patankar, co-founder and CEO of Street, a workflow management software company founded in 2014. We discuss key decisions like when to turn on monetization, expanding upmarket, differentiating amid competition, lessons learned on go-to-market and building an effective team. Let's get into it. I was running a marketing company before and we were doing a lot of basically campaign and content management, very repetitive work using lots of freelancers and outsourced and like employees and stuff like that. And it was just difficult to get a handle on all of that work. We were just managing it in spreadsheets basically. And we saw a lot of problems in quality. We saw a lot of problems in visibility of work, in process adherence, obviously. And so I was like, why is there not software that does this for me? And it was really just solving like my own problem. We didn't really do a big analysis of the market. It was pretty ignorant, honestly, in that it was just, I have a problem. I run a business. I guess other business owners probably have this problem. I'm going to first just try to solve my own problem and then see if it's a problem that other people also have and want to get solved. And, and you know, worst case scenario, at least I've built a solution for me and I've solved my problem and best case scenario, it's something that lots of other people want to. How did you find your first set of customers? The very first few, like four or five, were just friends, basically. So, mm-hmm. hey, friends, check out this, this product that I'm working on. The first real kind of like spike that we got was we launched or we released on Betalist, which is basically what Product Hunt, product hunt is today. But essentially, we just like released the product on a platform, right? That is a platform that displays new products that are launching. And uh, that was the real kind of like first day that it went out to the world. And that day we got, I think, a couple hundred like trials or whatever, signups. How long did it take you to get to first million in revenue? Three years around that. We didn't turn on revenue for two years, right? So it was like a free product for two years that we were just building. And then we turned on revenue and went, went from zero to one in what? one year, but like we were building for two years before that. Yeah. What was the strategic thinking behind that decision not to try to monetize for the first two years? It's around fundraising, basically, because if you take from what like zero to three in three years and you've been trying to monetize that whole time, it's a less attractive growth curve than if you don't turn on monetization for two years and then turn it on and then you go from zero to one in one year your revenue growth curve looks a lot more attractive, which makes you a more attractive investment target, basically. And so it's like around optimizing for fundraising. How interesting how certain incentives make certain product decisions. Yeah, Yeah, we are. I mean, lots and lots and lots of product decisions are, are built around the fundraising milestones, right? Because like those are the milestones that unlock your next rounds of growth. And so a lot of decisions around how you're building your team, how you're building your product, how you're going to market, 
When are you pushing? When are you pulling back? A lot of that has to do with your fundraising cycle. For many years, being a pre-revenue startup was a big advantage. You could often secure funding more easily than established businesses. This is because investors are often more willing to take a risk on a pre-revenue startup with potential for high growth. If you're pre-revenue, you can rely on a big total addressable market and a great story. If you have revenue, you need to rely on facts and the projection of triple, triple, double, double will not be seen anywhere. Today, in the era of efficient growth, this is less common, but you'll still see it with big name founders. So once you hit that 1 million in revenue, what changed? Did you change the marketing strategy? Did, you, did the product evolve? Did the channels, how you, you know, acquired customers change? Not too much. I'd probably say we put in a few people in the sales side around then. So before it was more like, support-driven sales, right? Where people would sign up for the product and we'd answer some questions. Maybe some people wanted a demo. We didn't have like a CRM that we didn't have targets. We weren't tracking opportunities. We weren't like aggressively following up with people or anything. There was like marketing automation and it was pretty self-serve. And if you like raised your hand and said, hey, we want to speak to somebody, we got some questions or something, we're like, sure, and jump on. It was usually me or one of the support reps. But after a million, we got more structured around sales. And so that was bringing in actual reps with targets and a CRM and a sales system and demo environments and follow-up templates. And so just creating more of a sales process and a sales team, that was the big change. And then, you know, kind of like what's happened as the companies evolved is the big thing that's changed is we've gone more up market. And so we've targeted larger companies and larger deals. We've also added a lot of complexity and power to the product. And so the product itself has a lot more functionality, but with that complexity. And so the way that we sell now is a lot more complicated because we're bigger deals with larger companies, with more complicated processes, with a more complicated product. And so now our sales is SDRs and AEs and sales engineers. And so that's been a huge change in, in how we sell compared to the early days. It was a lot more self-serve. It was a much simpler product. And so it actually didn't require as much handholding through the sales process or through implementation because it was just a simpler product in general and affected basically a lot of how we, we go to market, right? In a recent episode of How to Win, Jess Ma talked about how difficult small clients were for Indinero, her bookkeeping software company, and why she went up market. I thought naively that SMB SaaS was a really cool segment. Like, oh, these SMBs are very underserved and there's a way to deliver something incredible to them. We'll just get tens of thousands of these SMBs to sign up and it'll be great. About a year and a half in, I'm realizing, holy cow, the churn is ridiculously high. These people barely pay us anything and they complain about the prices, even if the prices are low. It took me about a year and a half to realize micro SMB is not the way to go. Charging 20 or 30 bucks a month and hoping that we'll get tens of thousands of customers, it's a really difficult way to build a big business. So at what stage in your company's growth did you decide that, hey, I think this SMB market is not working out for some reason, where there's more money in that, you know, going up market. So tell me about that decision, when it came about, and then you know, how you moved or pivoted the company towards different ICP. Yeah, so it was leading into the Series A and kind of after the Series A, that was part of like the Series A pitch, right, was 
we're going to be moving more up market. And the backing to that argument was one, like our larger cohort customers expand more. And so like their net retention is a lot stronger. Like we've have, we have customers that started at 3K and went to 60K or whatever. And so there's these in a larger business with more process problems and more employees, there's more opportunity for us to grow and deploy different use cases and acquire more users and whatnot. And so there's the health of those customers was, was better from a net retention perspective and like a APA, like ACV perspective, the deal sizes are bigger and they, they expand more. And then the churn was higher in the SMB segment. And so on the really small customers, not only were they not you know, expanding because you're a 10 person company, we've got your whole three person sales team on or whatever that's using it. And then that's like the end of what the need that you have in your business for our product. And so there's not much opportunity for us to grow beyond these three seats or whatever. And so not only was there less kind of expansion, but also just the gross churn of the SMB segment is a lot higher for all, all the normal reasons that you'd expect. And so essentially we just identified that for a lot like, you know, the mid-market and enterprise was a healthier segment and would be easier for us to stack growth based on the metrics of that segment and that, that they expand more and they retain more. So now you've been at it for a while. What are some of the challenges with going up market? What are some of the things you got wrong? So with SMB, we could have a lot broader product that solved a broader range of problems. We could have more horizontal marketing, a lot of SEO, for example. We could have simpler or less specialized go-to-market people because we're dealing with smaller businesses that had simpler problems and a simpler, you know, it was a simpler sell and a simpler go-to-market kind of motion. With enterprise, we're finding that each kind of problem that we try to solve, so some of our top use cases are employee onboarding, client onboarding, financial data and analysis and reporting, for example, can be quite different real, real estate. The, those are some of our top use cases. When we're selling with enterprise, the requirements that are needed to solve one of those use cases are a lot more specific and complex. And so we're finding it harder to get product market fit from multiple use cases in enterprise than it was in SMB as like a more horizontal tool. So it's like if we want to really close like a 200 grand deal in real estate, they want a number of specific things that are real estate related for that to be valuable enough for them to pay 200 grand, right? Whereas if you're selling a five grand deal, you don't need all those dials dialed in as accurately because the ticket price is not so high. So they're more willing to accept things not being exactly the way they need because it's a much cheaper product, right? Mm -hmm. It's like if you're buying a, a cheap car, you don't need everything perfect. But if you're going to drop 300 grand on a supercar, you want it to be exactly the way that you want because like mm. you're investing so much and you're not willing to compromise as much. Got it, yeah. Right? You're contemplating going from horizontal to select industries or use cases. Use cases, yeah. Or at least, yeah, like di dialing it down a lot more. And then I'd probably say like some of the other challenges that we've had are going to upmarket. So we started really SMB and then there's mid-market and enterprise. And we got a few kind of sniffs from enterprises and we closed a few deals inbound from enterprise. And we're like, oh, we're ready to go to enterprise. We're ready to just start like selling to enterprise now. We've got a few six-figure deals. Let's go. 
and that's just been way harder to crack as like a kind of outbound motion, really going to Fortune 1000 customers or whatever and trying to do six-figure deals. I think what we should have done, which we, we're, we're more focused on now, is go from SMB to mid-market and then focus on mid-market and be okay with like accepting, obviously we'll take the enterprise deals as they come, but really focus more on mid-market. And then when we feel like that is stable, take the next step to enterprise. Whereas I think we jumped and then had to come back and there was just a lot of wasted like energy trying to sell to enterprise when we weren't ready, basically. Staying down market can help companies prepare for enterprise by keeping the products nimble and their prices low. Here's Dharma Shah, founder of HubSpot, explaining how his company thinks about it. Our thesis at HubSpot is that in the software industry, you have what we call reverse gravity, that over time, unless you actively resist it, the product will get more sophisticated, more complex, and you'll be able to charge more money, and you'll move up the enterprise spectrum, regardless of where you start. And so we actually actively resist it. And the reason we don't like enterprise software is not because it's like bad or evil or anything. It's just really hard in today's day because then you have all the evils of enterprise software, which is revenue concentration, where a single customer is writing you a big check. And so they influence the product roadmap, which makes it hard to build the business that you want. So at HubSpot, essentially actively resist the degree that we can getting pulled up. We know over time we'll get pulled up and revenues per customer are going up, but we're going to push back on it as hard as we can because if and when the time comes, it's like, oh, it has to be like, we have to move up or whatever. We think whoever has a lower price point light weight product in the stage in the software industry the right strategy is to be smaller and lighter that's high ground because it's much easier for a company that's in the smb space to go up than it is for the reverse so if we got it wrong if we start with enterprise like ah that didn't quite work out we want to move to small business that's near impossible very little precedence for that what's your marketing mix like trying to go after these mid market companies are you doing abm or what's happening uh yeah our, our kind of you know normal inbound organic Word of mouth type stuff. That's generally the the main one for most SaaS companies. Then outbound is definitely something that we've invested more in as we've moved up market. And then like a partner and channel program has also been one of our main strategies. Yeah. Is inbound uh, more than 50% still? Uh, you said when you started the business, you weren't really paying attention to what else is going on in the market. You weren't sizing it up. Now, I'm sure there's plenty of competition that you uh, run up against. So what is your thinking and product strategy regarding differentiation? Why they should choose you over alternatives? That's another reason for like wanting to get more specialized in specific use cases, right? So that definitely becomes a challenge. And there are use cases that we're already better than the competition at, and we know those. And so that's how we win a lot of those deals. Otherwise, if it's not like we have a clear checkbox as to why they should use us versus a competitor, a lot of the time it just comes down to like experience preference. So like what's the, the ex experiential preference of the, the user? There's, there's a lot of like small details, right? Like small checkboxes that we might have that they might not have or whatever, but either we're, we're going to be the best solution for that use case. And we have a good argument as to why. And that's because it's a use case that we do really well. And we understand the competition and we outperform them either on, for example, things might be like flexibility and customization, like no code strength compared to how much that they might have to do with an engineering team or something like brand ability and white label ability. So like how much you can make the experience seem native to your organization. Things like that, where we, we do better than some of the direct competitors, but we have a complicated environment because we have both direct competitors, indirect competitors, and vertical competitors. 
So direct are going to be other process management platforms. Indirect are going to be like project management or like a, a Notion or a, a Smartsheet or Google, Google Sheets or whatever. And then vertical might be like an HR solution for like an employee onboarding use case or like a property management solution for like a real estate use case or something, right? Where it's an actual vertical for that particular industry. And so it's that we have different strategies based on the type of competitor that we're dealing with. Back in the day, your messaging was very no-code tool focused. Today, there's a lot of AI weaved in there. Is it that AI is just helping you pursue your strategy better or does it also bring a change in your product strategy? It's mostly just being like features, right? Ooh. And it's definitely made the product more valuable. I don't think it's like massively changed the value of the product per se, but normal features we build, we might get like five to 10% adoption. AI got like 20 to 25% adoption. So it's been a successful feature, right? More successful than the average feature, not the most successful feature we've ever built, but it's been a very high quality investment in terms of like things that we could have built and it's getting a lot of utilization and value by customers. But the reason it's more prominent in our messaging than other features we may have built that maybe have similar adoption or have delivered more, even more value is just like the A-B tests show us that that increases conversion more. And so mm -hmm. that's why it's everywhere. What are the strategic bets along the way that you made that didn't pay off? We've tested a number of different marketing channels that didn't work out. What Multiple are some examples of those channels? So like community was one that we tried to invest in more and build out and dialed back and maybe we just didn't invest enough, but I don't know. All sorts of various types of paid ads that we basically have struggled to make economically viable. It's, it's tricky for us. Like a lot of our competitors are in the enterprise and it's like Oracle and IBM and Microsoft and whatever. And they have very large, essentially unlimited like ad budgets and stuff. And so, mm -hmm. and they have huge, you know, million dollar, $10 million ACVs or whatever, right? So like they can burn $5 million a year on ads and acquire one customer and it could be profitable for them, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas the, met, the, the math doesn't work out the same way for us. So there's kind of like some challenges when you're competing with enterprise service providers for the same types of keywords, right? Where your economics are very different to their economics. And so that makes it difficult to compete. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know, we've, we've tried outbound in a couple of different ways and mm. it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, looking back at lessons learned building this company, what would be your top three pieces of advice for other fellow B2B SaaS founders? I think one we're working on now is just get really clear in your strategy. And this is not true for all products. Some products have a very obvious strategy. You know, if you're building like, I don't know, a CRM for financial planners or something, like your, your strategy is pretty obvious. It's like go target financial planners, go to financial planning conferences. But if you're building more of like a you know, horizontal tool or kind of like a, a, a tool that can be used by multiple teams or industries, then having real clarity around the product that you're building and the problem that you're solving and the person you're solving it for. I think that was something that we, we were more like, oh, we'll build it and then we'll see how people use it. And then we'll, you know, we'll figure it out. And I think that also is viable, but we could have been more deliberate and moved faster on that and 
been more willing to cannibalize some existing revenue and traction for the name of strategy. A second one I'd say is like, don't hire a leadership team, especially go to market leadership until you've figured out some channels that are working with unit economics that are approaching what you want them to be. I think a mistake that we made was hiring some go-to-market leadership and then asking them to figure out what the go-to-market strategy should be or to find new go-to-market channels that are economically viable. Whereas instead, I think we should have, as founders, directly managed ICs that figured out those channels and then brought in leadership to scale the channels once we figured it out instead of having leadership come in because they basically are not efficient with resources. And so the same amount of one, you just, it's a similar problem to like product market fit. Like you have product market fit and then you have a product channel fit. First, you have to figure out your product market fit. Then you have to figure out channels that allow you to scale economically. And it's a, quite a similar exercise where you're working in an unknown environment. You've got to run lots of experiments. You don't know exactly what experiment's going to work or not, or how long it's going to take for you to stack the right number of tests and optimizations to make that fit happen, right? It's a kind of like you're a bit in a bit of an unknown situation. It's like when you're trying to figure out product market fit, like how long does it take? There's no answer. It's different for every company, right? It's similar to like how long does it take to figure out a, a go-to-market channel that's like profitable and it's different for every company. And because of that unknown, if you are spending a lot of money like trying to figure that out, you can just burn through lots of money for long periods of time without actually seeing anything out of it. One more. I think that when we first built the product team, the engineering team, we built it in a way where my co-founder was doing a lot of the kind of architecture and strategy, and he kind of was surrounded by more junior engineers. We thought we could basically break out product development in more of a way that you might break out a sales team into like SDRs and AEs and AMs and split the responsibilities that way and move the less kind of important work to the cheaper team and have the more expensive team do the more important work. Well, we've actually found that it's a lot more efficient just to have all your engineering team be really senior and have no juniors and have them be a full stack, manage the entire thing within a senior team. Especially when you're small, it's just really difficult to train and integrate and even retain juniors in almost any role. SDRs might be one of the only ones that you can do to, to bring on and like to get value out of junior in almost any role. You need to have dedicated people training them, people like doing quality control on them, people like upskilling them. You need to have places for them to grow. You need to have systems to cycle out the ones that are not working. Like you need to have more of a full graduate program like mm -hmm. Deloitte has or, you know, Goldman Sachs has or whatever. And that's not really viable when you're a small startup. And so I think that I would just only be focused on hiring seniors and having less of them versus trying to bring in juniors that a lot of the time create more problems or turn over before they're even trained up enough to add real value. So how did Process Street win? One, they started with a free self-serve product to drive users. It was a lot more self-serve. It was a much simpler product. And so it actually didn't require as much handholding through the sales process or through implementation because it was just a simpler product in general. Two, by going up market to increase retention and revenue per customer. We have customers that started at 3K and went to 60K or whatever. And so there's these 
in a larger business with more process problems and more employees, there's more opportunity for us to grow. Three, they focused on specific use cases. We want to really close like a 200 grand deal in real estate. They want a number of specific things that are real estate related for that to be valuable enough for them to pay 200 grand, right? And that's how you win. I'm Pep Lau. For more tips on how to win, follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks for listening.